0: And welcome to Rewire with Duchess Dale. Whether you're a baby boomer or a baby zoomer, a millennial or an elder ally, enjoying retirement or planning ahead, this podcast provides tips and information that turn into inspiration for living your best life. And now, here's our host, Duchess.
1: If you actually read today's topic title in print before you started listening, you might have thought that I misspelled something, but I didn't. I chose to spell Old Lang Syne, O-L-D, because, well, that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. I have noticed that doing holidays appears to be different now as an older adult. We're still getting to know each other, and I might be new to some listeners, so I do proceed with care and compassion, as I know holidays can be filled with sadness and grief, the year ending, and many of us have had big losses or smaller ones, or even the ghosts of Christmas past haunting us. "Old Lang Syne, spelled correctly, is a Scots poem written by Robert Burns back in 1788, and it's about letting the year go, letting the old pass. This year, in our household, we didn't send out holiday cards, I didn't do my usual form of gift-giving, and we didn't even get our tree up until December 20th. I realize priorities and even rituals do change as we mature, no matter which holiday it is we celebrate. We'll take a cup of kindness yet for old Lang Syne, and here we are in that odd week between letting go most of the holidays and, and all of 2023 and approaching the new year. And, and if you're like me, you're scrambling to get everything done before the calendar turns to 2024. Even the song "Old Lang Syne reminds us to be kind as does poet Henry James quote, three things in human life are important. The first is to be kind. The second is to be kind, and the third is to be kind, end quote. So maybe there's a way to be kind to yourself this week that will help set an intention for your new year. And if you're someone who also changed up your holiday rituals, maybe you could consider changing up how you do self-care. I am not discounting the fact that you may be a person who is the primary caregiver for someone else. But I also know how important it is to find ways and time to engage in self care. So I thought for this year end daily word, in between the holiday hoopla, you might find yourself dumbfungled. Dumbfungled. Well, it's a Scottish word, and I thought that was appropriate since we're talking about Olangzine, lang syne, And what it means is being mentally and physically worn out. Well, that's not a word I want to end the year on, so I'm gonna choose another one. Do, 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 envisage. Envisage, to envisage, envision, see something is to picture it in your mind or view it or regard it in a particular way. And I know most folks at the end of the year are conditioned to creating a list of resolutions for the new year ahead. I no longer do that. Why do I want to resolve something that is still on my list from years ago? And I read something today by Dr. John Waterhouse that inspired me. He said he doesn't like to make a list of goals or resolutions, but instead he likes to envision, envisions, I can't even say my own word, envision outcomes. That so appealed to me because a goal seems hard and fast and open to failure, whereas an outcome contains an emotional and feeling quality about that which I desire to experience or express. Well, that shifted my perspective completely, and now I'm going to fill my new year with choosing outcomes that I seek, and on this podcast, we will continue to choose new outcomes together throughout the year by offering ideas and information with ways that we can do that together. Our guest today, Nikki Bywater, is someone who knows how to rewire in her life. She was once a legal and administrative secretary, a Weight Watchers manager, before she began spending eight years as a clinical social worker and supervisor for the California Child Protective Services. Then she got her master's and her licenses in marriage and family therapy. And she had a private practice in that for 10 years until 2015, and she retired. However, once again, she rewired into doing part-time online telehealth therapy while working on writing a book about her own story of trauma. Nikki has agreed to join us today to talk about therapy and help debunk some of the myths and make mental health support a safe avenue for all of us to explore. I'm very excited about today's guest Nikki Bywater serves in so many ways as you heard in her introduction she has a wonderful rewiring for all of her careers today I've asked her here to talk about how we support ourselves for better particularly as an older adult welcome Nikki thank you Duchess I'd like it if you told us a little bit about yourself
2: I am an older uh, person myself and I've been living in Texas for about four years, left behind in California, three sets of grown kids. We also have some kids that are local here and some grandkids. I have a dog that we spoil terribly and I have a husband. <laughs> Thirty-two years. We've been married do, for 32 years.
1: Do you spoil him as
2: well? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> He's definitely spoiled. Recently, I came kind of out of semi-retirement and decided to do some telehealth therapy. Lots of need for more therapists and too many patients that didn't have enough access to therapy. I had a private practice with my own office for about 10 years in California, and I closed that in 2015. Then I hadn't really been working in the field, but just keeping up my licenses. I have two. I kept my California license, and now I also have a license for marriage and family therapy for Texas. The additional thing I do is supervise folks that are trying to get licensed and they require clinical supervision. I really do enjoy my, I probably have about 10 patients on my list right now, and it's kind of the perfect blend of a semi-retirement schedule. I want
1: to ask you about two things that you sparked when you were sharing, and one is a little bit more about how to do telehealth I know many of us learned how to do that during the pandemic in seeing medical physicians, et cetera. But the idea of telehealth for mental health might be new to the listeners. If you could explain just briefly, sometimes when I'm looking for something and you've got an MFT and an LCSW and acronyms nonstop, if you could talk about those two things, I would appreciate it.
2: Doing some sort of online treatment, whether it's with a physician or someone that's providing mental health, requires a little bit of internet knowledge. A lot of my patients have had their younger adult kids come and set up their computers. We kind of encourage people to practice if you're not familiar with the Zoom platform, because that's what most companies typically use. You do have to be in a confidential place and you do have to show up on time because it's a regular scheduled appointment time. You can't just pop in and pop out whenever you want. (laughs) Um, It has to be scheduled in advance. But, and then the other things that sometimes are pitfalls is that people have things going on that interrupt us. Occasionally I will see a spouse walk past and the patient will be, oh, there's my wife. Do you want to meet her? In order to not be rude, I will say, oh, of course, let's meet your wife. And we'll say, okay, bye, Jane. We're going to now resume our session. And we hope you're not in the other room listening. We want it to be a confidential place. Sometimes people are inclined to sign on for their session and they're at the coffee shop. Not a good idea. One of my younger patients signed in one day and was in bed with her boyfriend. And that was not a session that I was going to be able to hold with her. Some people do better in person. And so you have to know yourself. I would encourage people to try it if they haven't already done so, because the convenient part is... I have people that kind of roll in after they just got up out of bed and they got bedhead. They don't even have to brush their teeth. I wouldn't know any different because usually you can't tell that on a camera. You could be dressed differently from the waist down. I'm usually quite professional from the waist up. But if I got up, you might see that I either have yoga pants on and slippers or shorts or flip flops, yes. or something. There is some definite advantage, though. You don't have to drive someplace. Although I've had patients who wanted more confidentiality go and sit in a park because there were too many people at the house and they weren't feeling comfortable with having a confidential time with me. I've had people sit in their cars during a lunch break. That works just as well, so long as you have good internet service, a way to navigate getting online and some sort of device. Um, Some people only have their cell phone and that works. You can actually have a session just logging in from your cell phone. You don't have the couch. (laughs) No, you don't have the couch, but yet sometimes people will see things in my background behind me and it might be my dog walking by. I see a lot of pets, lots of pets climb into the screen and are on camera, but most people really love it because it's so convenient and it's so easy. Some people find they'll be able to talk more about really deep, personal things, because there's this little bit of a a distance with us doing online work.
1: Interesting, because my first response about the idea of doing telehealth for um, counseling or therapy, I had just the opposite. I want to be in the room with someone, look around the room and see what they have that I could identify with to create that level of safety. So it's good to hear the plus sides of Zoom therapy?
2: There are a lot of us that literally have the ability to do some sort of counseling. You definitely want to find someone who has a license. There are folks that do other sorts of counseling, like career counseling, and typically some of them are not licensed mental health providers. They did a coaching kind of certification program. But -hmm. there are a lot of Marriage and family therapists, licensed clinical social workers, psychologists that have done both, that will do career counseling or coaching and mental health work at the same time. Sometimes we need to look at referring to a psychiatrist, and a psychiatrist is not a therapist. That's a medical MD doctor, and they do strictly medication management for mental health purposes. That's their job. I used to work with a psychiatrist in my office in California, and we would collaborate with clients. And he was one of the few. He was really old school. And he would sit for at least 15 minutes to half an hour with each of his patients and just check in. Are there any side effects? Are you taking the medications as I've prescribed them? Maybe we could switch one if things aren't working well, but that's their role. They're the doctor. Then there's a psychologist. The psychologist has his PhD and their training is specifically in individual therapy. Many of them do work with couples and families, sometimes the licensed social worker or myself, but that's not their training. There is also a PsyD doctoral license. Those folks have a different specialty They've usually done some research studies and different things. Their program is a little bit less rigorous than a psychologist.
1: So someone looking for counseling or therapeutic mental health support looks for someone who's licensed and Mm -hmm. goes through the acronyms. Even if it says marriage and family, that doesn't mean that you have to be married. It could be for individuals, right?
2: That's right. Both. LCSWs, which is a licensed clinical social worker, and marriage and family therapists, which go by the acronym MFTs, we both have training in treating families, couples, and individuals. The difference between a marriage and family therapist and a licensed clinical social worker is the social worker is... Also trained and geared for providing community resources and referrals. The majority of their training is how to work with a whole system of providers. A lot of them do case management, but a lot of them have therapy offices and practices online, just like I do.
1: Is helpful because when I was doing research and went online, I saw all these people's names with all of those letters after it, and one of them did say marriage and family, and I thought, oh, well, I guess that's just for couples and families and kids, et cetera. Being able to know that it could be either or family or individuals is helpful so that as people go through the list, and it can be extensive of what might be available on telehealth, they have at least some idea where they can start to narrow the
2: field down for their needs. I think a lot of people give up too soon if they meet with a therapist they don't connect with. They're just like, eh, never mind. This is too hard. I'm not going to try again. Keep shopping. Keep looking. Look up that person's website. Look up their social media. Look up one of those good sources is psychology today. A lot of people pay to have postings on psychology today that basically talks about what kind of patients they work with, how long they've been licensed, where they were educated, what their specialties are, what the theories and processes are that they use. I always used to tell people also call your insurance company. There are licensed people at your insurance company who can get you with the right person.
1: I, I love that you gave us permission to go shopping because I think when one is seeking spiritual or psychological help, and they meet with someone who is a professional, oftentimes if there isn't a a connection, you still might feel, well, but they're the expert, so it must be me. Even though it doesn't feel particularly right, I guess I ought to go forward. I like the fact that it's, no, trust your
2: instincts, do your research,
1: as you suggested, and then uh, go shopping. Don't give up on that.
2: Don't give up. Maybe you see three or four people for one session only, you could switch at any time and tell your therapist, oh, you know, this doesn't seem to be working or I don't seem to really feel comfortable disclosing things I need to. I think that's a mistake people make as well as they just kind of drop out of therapy and they don't tell the therapist, hey, this wasn't working for me. And people are afraid, like you said, oh, that's the expert. They should know everything. Well, they don't. It's your responsibility. It's your treatment. So you're the one that needs to be in charge of it.
1: I appreciate that empowerment and choice because many of us who are older came from those generations where you didn't question authority, no matter what authority it was.
2: You should find somebody who, if you have questions about how the process works, that you can ask those questions. I'm signed on with a couple of platforms that insurance companies also sign on with. In the world of online therapy, there are tons of agencies that act as kind of the middleman between you and the insurance company. I sign on to a couple of those, and they arrange a lot of things so that it's easy for patients to read bios and get matched with the right person. Sometimes people are still kind of thinking about therapy, and so their inquiries don't result in an actual session being scheduled because they're not ready.
1: So now we have a bit of an understanding about types of therapies plus their acronyms and how to approach it, particularly in the realm of what we have today called telehealth. I'm hoping that people know how to go to a senior center or a younger family member to engage them in teaching them how to make this possible so that people can avail themselves. We began the holidays, we're smack in the middle. And this episode will be smack in the middle of Christmas and New Year's. I know that for myself, as well as many other people that I've talked to, people can have a challenge with the holidays in the realm of sadness, nostalgia, grief in varying levels. And I was wondering if you could talk to us about how does one know what's going on in the holidays that might just be a natural expression of sadness and grief as well as maybe a sign that there needs to be more support. I think
2: a a lot of people are afflicted with all the expectations of the holiday and there's not family around or they live alone and the television is what they hear all day. If you're grieving or if you're feeling pretty depressed, there are some signs and symptoms where you can literally say to yourself, okay, these might be reasons where I might need to seek out some kind of professional help. Some people prefer to also see a pastor or someone at their church to kind of talk things out before they actually attend any kind of therapy. Sometimes those pastors and priests can refer you to some good people If you're looking for someone that's kind of aligned with your particular belief system as far as religious aspects, older people tend to sometimes think, well, this will just go away on its own. When you find yourself not being able to get up out of bed that you're withdrawing from people, and when you see these commercials with all these families, you quickly turn the television off. And or you're having trouble with sleeping and eating and just daily self-care stuff, then that's probably, and especially if you've got any kind of signs or thoughts of suicide, the idea of suicide or thoughts about what would it be like if I just didn't wake up tomorrow. A lot of people are grieving though during the holidays. They've had losses this year and those people are no longer with them. You have to be willing to talk about what's going on with you. And having support people is really helpful for that as well. Check it out with a friend, especially a friend who has been to therapy before. It's funny how I sometimes have more males in therapy, individual males than females. Really? The gender thing is tossed out the window. I think for us, we're we're used to the fact that women usually seek out more doctors and more mental health professionals to work out their issues, but men are starting to come along and come forward. Sometimes that's because their significant other has said, you need therapy. Sometimes older folks feel more comfortable with an older therapist, but Mm -hmm. that's not always a good fit. Sometimes the folks that have recently gotten out of a master's program and they just finished their 3,000 hours to be supervised, and they just got licensed. They're so enthusiastic. They have so many new ideas to be practiced and used. Sometimes that is a good match for an older person, especially if you connect with that younger therapist and that person might remind you of a granddaughter or a great granddaughter. Then there's this common ground. I think what does matter about is that you find somebody that you connect with. The, the connection in therapy means more than any of the methods or types or theories or any of that.
1: What you've said, go shopping, try out a few t- till you find that fit, gives one permission that if they choose or get assigned a younger therapist that they don't immediately have to write that off, that maybe that is a good fit for any number of reasons Or if it isn't a good fit for whatever reason, try again, maybe choose an older therapist to see. I I was surprised as you could hear when you said that men are now becoming more uh, aligned with that. And I assumed, oh, well, women are the ones with their emotions on their sleeves. I'm wondering if some of that is that the stigma is dissolving as well as that because you have telehealth, that you have an energetic and a vibration that's different watching someone on Zoom than being in the same room. And maybe that does give them
2: more comfort to be able to come forward. Sometimes the grief part of this work comes out a little more slowly. Sometimes people will be more comfortable talking about being depressed or they're really having trouble with all of their relationships because they don't want to talk to anybody. And They're very lonely and they're feeling hopeless and helpless. We often will ask people as we're doing an initial assessment, who do you live with? What are your family supports? And that's typically when that comes out that, yes, I've, I've lost a spouse or just had a miscarriage or I lost my child. There's that depression along with grief that we sometimes have to tease apart a little bit.
1: I think that's valid to hear because there are varying levels of, people use the word depression in a knee-jerk response, sometimes the way you say, give me a Kleenex instead of a tissue. Yet there are real reasons to pay attention to that. Grief, particularly, maybe during the holidays. And the fact that my personal opinion is we don't live in a grief, death-friendly culture. And so people having grief about, a job loss, grieving about aging and retiring and changing. People don't think of it that way as grief. They think grief happens when a loved one dies.
2: We have to put in there too, Duchess divorce, because that's one of the most difficult kinds of grieving is grieving a divorce where the person is still alive. And sometimes you still have to interact with them. All of those kind of different Situations that sometimes occur in our lives. You're in a season where you're just really struggling. You're not eating, you're not sleeping well. You lost somebody very close to you. Sometimes it's a pet. We have grieved really a lot over the loss of some of our pets. And sometimes that pet is the only being that you are with all day long. That's just as valid. And don't let anyone tell you any different than if a person in your life dies. Because they're a part of you. And some of them have been a part of you for a long time. I wanted to speak just really briefly about what works best in therapy when you're in a moderate to severe anxiety, depression, trauma, abuse, past abuse issue. For some people, they need a little bit of the psychiatrist help with med management. Okay. Sometimes the therapist can help you find a good psychiatrist, so can your insurance company, but the best marriage for something that's really going to have the best results is therapy combined with med management for those people. I'm talking about psychotropic medications for anxiety, depression, trauma, etc. There's still a stigma and aversion to doing that. But some people just need that little bit of extra help. I have probably half of my patients are on some sort of anti-anxiety or antidepressant medication for a variety of conditions. One of my jobs, because I've done this work for more than 20 years, I'll talk with people. What side effects do you have? Are you taking your meds the way the doctor has suggested? Oh, you're having these weird dreams? Your doctor needs to know. So navigating that with patients is just as important.
1: Again, as you say, that had its own stigma for a very long time, and I'm glad to see that it's becoming more accessible. And so would someone who might be wondering about that and not being able to self-identify, would working with their therapist would be the one to say, I think you may need additional support. Please check this out.
2: Usually what we say, Duchess, when I get a brand new patient is I will ask them, when was the last time you had a full-blown physical with all of the tests and things that needed to be done? Mm -hmm. Because really want to rule out in case there's any kind of organic or physical problem. Because sometimes their diabetes isn't well-managed or they're having neuropathy or they've got some new diagnosis of something that came down the pike they weren't ready for, or it's not being managed well. You definitely need to go and make sure that everything physically in your body is working. Sometimes your your primary care doctor might be the one that you feel comfortable with getting your medication from. Okay. In general, if you're really suffering and you have a moderate to severe diagnosis of some sort, you are strongly encouraged to find a psychiatrist because that's their job to figure out what kind of meds go with what and how to do it.
1: Because as you say, they are MDs as well. And I think, again, the, the vocabulary, the misunderstanding, psychiatrist shrink on the couch, you know, nope. they nope. people may not realize.
2: <laughs> There's a very few of them these days that do that, Duchess. But generally speaking, they do not. You're going to get 10 or 15 minutes at the most with your psychiatrist. And all they're going to ask about is side effects and whether or not you're taking your medications. And is everything okay? Does it seem to be helping your mood management? And they always are happy when they find out the patients in therapy.
1: Particularly here for our state of New Mexico, we have so many resources available through the Aging and Long-Term Services Department that that might be the starting point. I just thought before we close out this episode, I wondered, are there any little tips that you might suggest for those of us who might have the seasonal sadness, are there some basic day-to-day tips to manage anxiety and sadness?
2: I think there always are. These are things that I work with with my patients. Nutrition, super important. As one of your former guests talked about, we tend to skip on regular good nutritious food during this time of year, you want to make sure that you get that good nutritional balance on a wide variety of foods during this time of year. Sleep is at the top of the self-care list. A lot of your other mood management issues will be easier to cope with and handle. So Mm -hmm. seven to eight hours is the, the ideal Keep company with good people, especially during this time of year. If Aunt Jane is just drives you crazy and you know she's going to be at Christmas dinner, you do what you can to minimize your contact with Aunt Jane. You want positive people who have similar interests that you do to spend time with during this time of year. You might be the one that has to reach out and make that happen. Regular exercise, even if that's I walked down to the mailbox and got my mail and walked back up my driveway. In a perfect world, it would be a little more than that. If you have a dog that needs to be walked, like ours does, Mm -hmm. that is an excuse to get you out. Sunshine does something to our psyche. Our neurobiological makeup actually benefits from exposure to sunlight and helps somebody. Do something for your neighbor. Cook something and share a meal with someone. Bring a batch of cookies across the street to your neighbor that you know is alone. Whatever you got to do, even smiling at the clerk in the store. They so appreciate it because they're so busy. (laughs) Avoid news overdose. As Some of us have the news running around in the background all day long. It's filled with stories of suffering and terrible stuff minimize the amount of time you expose yourself to think good thoughts for others i love this one i wish you well oh so those people who are really difficult sometimes during this time of year think to yourself and send them good thoughts i wish you well practice self-care monitor your energy take a, a, a kind of an accounting of where is your energy going and conserve energy where you need to. Because some things like Christmas shopping out in public during this time of year are going to take a lot of energy and a lot of patience. These are tips for a happier and healthier, more productive lifestyle. You can find this stuff everywhere, online, in newspapers, all over social media. You'll find things that will kind of boost your mood, make you feel better about this time of year. Find some little pocket of joy or contentment. That's kind of what you want to do.
1: I think these are great tips for even beyond these holiday seasons, particularly, as I said, in the holiday season where one may feel a little more sadness or nostalgia or real grief. If there is a one less person at the table, honoring that, recognizing that, and then taking the steps that are necessary To support yourself. That's the biggest part of self care. So I love having these tips to remind people, and that we have given them in a conversational manner, we've given them permission to get the support they need in whatever way they need it. And that is a wonderful holiday gift. For sure. (laughs) Thank you so much, Nikki, for being our guest today, particularly at the end of the year when I know it's, it is busy and crazy for a lot of people. And I do hope that you will join us again in the new year so we can talk more about this wonderful idea of supporting oneself with mental well-being.
2: Thank you so much, Duchess. I'm pleased to be on your Rewire. This is my first podcast and maybe it'll be one of many to come. I'd be I happy bet. to join you again in January. So thank you.
1: All right. Thank you. Mm. I'm looking forward to having Nikki back next year so that we can continue this conversation about dissolving the stigma or shame that surrounds seeking psychological support and how someone can reach out for the help that they might need. In the meantime, if you are someone who needs help, please consider reaching out to a trusted friend or family member or neighbor. And if you happen to live in New Mexico, you could contact the Aging and Long-Term Services Department, just going onto their website, there is such a plethora of possibilities and resources, whether it's about nutrition or transportation, Office of Indian Elder Affairs, you name it, it's on the website. Please go to www.aging.nm.gov or you can call them 1-800-432-2080. Next month, we're going to talk about the blue zone for better aging and better living. And we got to start with that two weeks ago with Dr. Barbara Maddox. So we're going to go further into that because we want New Mexico to be the next blue zone. Yay! And if you subscribe or follow this podcast on your favorite streaming service, they will remind you whenever a new episode is uploaded. And that typically happens as a midweek uplift on Wednesdays. So I'm going to close out with a couple of affirmations written by Nick Ortner. He is the founder and creator of The Tapping Solution. As you listen to these affirmations, they are going to start to change your mindset and maybe you even rewind this podcast and say them along. I am stronger and more capable than I realize. I recognize how far I've come. I give myself permission to ask for help, and I lean on my support system. I can do really hard things. I trust in myself, and I trust in life. I've got this, and you do. You have this, and you have me, and this podcast, and the support team at Aging and Long Term Services to support you to have the best year ever. Let me take this opportunity to thank the team at Aging and Long-Term Services, the staff who has been so supportive of me and this podcast. I want to thank all of the guests that I've had the privilege to interview, and I want to thank especially you, my listeners, for your support and your feedback. So till next year, take time to refresh, reconnect, and you know, rewire.
0: show is sponsored by the Aging and Long-Term Services Department of New Mexico. You can contact that department by calling 1-800-432-2080 or online at www.aging.nm.gov. Our original music is written by New Mexico's own Lydia Clark. Join us next week on your favorite streaming platform. Till then, remember to reconnect, recommit, and rewire. We've got information and inspiration.